It all started with a very simple idea. Tell the stories of how successful middle market CEOs made it to the corner office. I'm Brand Handley, founder and managing director of Resource Options International, or ROI. We're the USA's premier executive search firm focused exclusively on empowering middle market companies to attract, hire, and retain A players while transforming top executives' careers and lives. ROI's Into the Corner office is dedicated to discovering how middle market CEOs advance their career and we're making these remarkable and sometimes quite unbelievable stories available to you for the very first time. Listen and learn about the challenges they've overcome, the interesting people they've met along the way, and the lessons learned that steered these executives' unique journey into a middle market corner office of their own. I know you enjoy these CEO stories as much as I've enjoyed recording them. So thank you for listening today. And if you like what you've heard, rate us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm looking forward to you joining me on the next great middle market CEO adventure into the corner office. Today's guest is Jeff Totten, founder and CEO of Evergreen Services Group. Jeff focuses his efforts on vision, capital allocation, team building, and growth. Prior to founding Evergreen, Jeff was a vice president at Alpine Investors, where he led investments in business services companies and was a board member of Risk Management Strategies, MidAmerica, Ucaring, and Constructive Media. Jeff graduated Phi Beta Kappa with highest honors from the Haas School of Business at UC Berkeley, where he was president of the Berkeley Investment Group. Jeff Totten, welcome into the corner office. Thanks for having me, Brand. Ah, great to have you here today. And I, I'm, I'm assuming you're sitting somewhere in sunny and warm California today. Did we catch you there or are you off on the road again? It travel seems to be back, but yeah, you catch me today in, in California and it's <laughs> mostly sunny. Mostly sunny. Well, it's been pretty warm lately. We're recording this in uh, early September and California has been going through a pretty bad heat wave. Is the same been up where you are or are things starting to cool down a little bit? Yeah, I, I'm out in the East Bay and it can get up north of 100 degrees, but today nice. is a beautiful 70 degrees, so we'll have nice. to enjoy it. Gotta love it. That's fantastic. Well, Jeff, we always kind of kick these off uh, at the beginning, and that means the beginning of your journey. And uh, tell us a little bit about your early years, you know, mom and dad, brothers and sisters, what part of the country you grew up in. Yeah, I grew up not not too far from where I'm recording this today at kind of 25 miles east of San Francisco and in Walnut Creek. Nice. Uh, I had two older sisters and they had much bigger personalities than <laughs> I did. And, and I do, uh, I, I was shy and, and kept to myself and my mom, she was a attorney for travelers. She was very, um, risk averse, but was really the, the driving force behind my education, my sister's mm-hmm. education. And the thing that I would point out about her is, uh, if I got a B on a test, she would always make me go to tutoring. Wow. And I hated going to tutoring, so <laughs> I Pain did whatever. <laughs> yes, I did whatever it took. You know, stayed as hard as I could to get A's, uh, so I could avoid going to tutoring. And my dad, I think, is where I got my entrepreneurial streak from. Mm-hmm. He ran a gunite company, which ah. is effectively like a, a spray-on gunite, concrete. Yeah. You use it for yeah. pools and, and tunnels. Right. Um, and he had a really strong worth work ethic, but. Uh, made time for us. You know, he would he would coach the soccer team and, and show us around all weekend to uh, sports games. And you know, he nice. was at the time and to this day uh, always my role model. So always looked up to him as a my giant within business. 
And older sisters, uh, quite a bit older, or were you all very close in age? We were pretty spread out. So my yeah. oldest sister's 10 years oh, older wow. than me, and my middle yeah. sister is six years older than me. So ah. we were always at different yeah. phases in life, That's and I could kind of look, look forward to my future through them. I have a similar kind of thing. I have a 10-year-old older brother and a 7-year-old older brother. So, you know, kind of we, we, when we were 10 years old, everyone was out of the house, right? You know, kind of had the rule to the roost there. Did, did your life change a little bit when your sisters moved on? Or have they, would they continue to be involved in your life as you went through grade school and junior high? Yeah, the, my, my uh, oldest sister was at, at Berkeley where I ended up going yeah, to right. undergrad. So she wasn't yeah. too far away. Um, l- like me, she didn't come home too, too often. But... Uh, right. It was fun for me to go see the campus and, yeah. and see her life uh, kind of 10 years ahead of me. And um, my middle sister, we, we overlapped a, a little bit. Uh, yeah. We went to a, a K through eight school. So uh, we overlapped uh, a bit, but we're in different, you know, pretty separated in terms of which classes that uh, we were in. And what's been cool is that everyone actually now lives out here in the East Bay. Nice. Uh, so I see them. Every Tuesday, we do Taco Tuesday as a family, a broader nice. family. And so I get to spend a lot of time with them today. Yeah, that's great. And we're recording on a Tuesday. I love it. <laughs> and uh, what about other you know, influencers? Were there teachers or coaches, anybody other than mom and dad that you know, left you with some inspirational things as you're growing up? Your sisters as well, I'm sure, obviously, Berkeley being one of them. Definitely my dad. I'd say uh, other big influence in my life, I had a very close friend who I actually went from kindergarten through college with and and he influenced me in a little bit of a different way than you might expect uh, I, I was very shy and hmm. introverted he was very right. outgoing and a bit precocious and, and so i think he did a good job of pushing me out of my comfort zone Bringing and out of it yeah yeah, yeah. L- learning how to take risks and and has been an influence in my life to this day yeah he's still you're still in touch with him yeah we are yeah cool what about schoolwork? I, I, we know we, you didn't get too many Bs <laughs> the whole point of pain avoidance, but pretty good student all the way through junior high and high school. I was, I was a good student. I referenced that my mom would take me to, to tutoring if uh, I didn't right. get an A. And so that was a, a big motivator for me. I felt like it was a non-negotiable that I had to study hard and, and get good grades. Uh, but my my interests were definitely more outside the, the classroom. I was yeah. on the lacrosse team. I was cool. very into photography. And, and so I I felt like I had to go get my homework done so that I could go do the things right. that, that I enjoyed. Right. Entrepreneur with a gun, my business. Um, did, did you have some entrepreneurial things that you did when you grew up? Or is there, you know, the paper route or other things that you uh, in, in, engaged with for some extra spending money? I was really, I was really interested in, in photography and yeah. uh also entrepreneurship. So I decided to start a photography company uh, when I was in high school. So I would, I would go to sports games. I also like sports. So it was kind of the intersection of everything that I enjoyed. And I'd, I'd go take pictures of all the athletes on the the field and then go into the stands and I had printed out business cards with my website on it. And I'd I'd hand it out to all the different uh, parents at the game. Right. They could, they could buy, you know, digital downloads or prints of their, you put proofs up or whatever for them to take a look at. That's cool. That's right. That's cool. Was it a nice, nice money maker for you? Yeah, it was. I've, as a high school student, uh, it it seemed like a good money maker. I I don't think it was a future career for me, but it it was definitely nice to uh, see how you could put in the effort in in trying right. to find parents as customers and then have that turn into a, a small business. And and what a lot of people do, particularly with a 
you know, an interest like photography, which can be expensive, right? This is back before iPhones became kind of the modus operandi for most, you know, uh, picture taking. Did you reinvest in equipment or were you able to siphon some of it off and have a good time? Or did you mom and dad kind of have agreement that you had to put some aside for school? I mostly re- reinvested in two things. One, one was definitely equipment. And yeah. you know, today, if I was looking at the business, I might have said that it wasn't as profitable as <laughs> the businesses I like <laughs> to work with today. Right. Uh, but the, the other thing that I got interested in, I was, I was trying to learn how to run a photography company. And so yeah. I went to Barnes & Noble and grabbed every book that I could find on ah, business. Cool. Yeah. I ended up with some books on stock investing uh, right next to each other on the aisle. And uh, I got interested in stock investing. So I it was an interesting time with the Great Recession and sure. going on. So I, I started investing in, in stocks and that became a passion of mine as well. And pretty much a foregone conclusion that you were going to go to Cal or, or were there some other choices that you had, uh, you know, applied around before you actually made the decision to go there? Not, not really. I think I grew up, I was a, I was a big Cal fan, mostly yeah. following the sports teams. Go Bears. Go Bears. <laughs> <laughs> We, we won't get into our, our uh, sports track record. But. <laughs> That's all right. The Ducks always beat the Bears, and I love that. <laughs> I think I shared with you, my son's also a Bear, and we've had a lot of fun at football games over the years, but it's usually been at the Bears' expense. <laughs> <laughs> That's not surprising. Uh, but I, I always was a fan of, of Berkeley, and my sister went there, and I looked yeah. up to my sister. But there was some kind of mid-high school, I started thinking very seriously about going to the the East Coast or Southern California yeah. for school. And really, after getting into Berkeley, the deciding factor for me was I went on a tour where a lot of my friends from high school um, went with me. And seeing that I would already have some community at Berkeley uh, was an important contributor yeah. to deciding to, to go there. I, I was also interested in the business program, which was a big deciding factor. But it was that tour with my, my friends that I think sold me on uh, staying local and going to Berkeley. Cool. Did you live on campus or did you commute from home? Lived on campus, uh, dorms the first year and then yeah. in an apartment for the, the succeeding that three years yeah. and actually started a business with my, uh, my apartment mate uh, while, while we were there. Cool. Tell us about that business. So that's a, it's a company called Exceder. My uh, roommate, John, still runs the company oh. and it's an equipment leasing business focused on biotechs. Uh, so helping biotech companies, instead of having to raise dilutive equity financing, uh, go out and lease equipment uh, in order to run run their tests. Nice. Yeah, cool. And and business was always kind of your target in terms of a degree. Did you know that even before you went to Cal? The two interests I have were, were photojournalism and business. And pretty quickly at Berkeley, you apply after two years to be in right. the business program. Pretty quickly after I got on campus, I decided mainly because of the investment club that I was more interested in business as a career path. Cool. And uh, any jobs during college or, or did this business that you started through roommate kind of help pay the bills and you know keep you out of trouble, so to speak? For the most part, did a lot of internships and, and worked on the business with my roommate. Yeah. So I, I would pretty much take advantage of any you know winter break, uh, summer break to go do uh, internships at finance firms. Uh, I figured that'd be the best way to get exposure to potential career paths and sure. in finance. And, and so worked at a wealth manager, a number of uh, hedge funds, then eventually at, at Alpine Investors where I started yeah. my career. Yeah, cool. So what was kind of the differentiating factor there for you to join them? Well, I, I really was interested in the investing world and yeah. I thought the, the initial path 
to pursue that was through public market investing. And the, the part that didn't really resonate for me about public market investing is you would do all this research online. You might get to talk to their investor relations department, but you really didn't have a say in the mm. operations of the, the business. And I, I went to Alpine Investors and one of my first tasks there was to go to Birmingham, Alabama and visit a chain of uh, thrift stores. And we would right. go from store to store, store location to store location. And you would meet the store managers and you could look at, you know, how the store managers performed relative to what was going on in the financial results of the company and see a correlation between, you know, the stronger managers and, yeah. and the performance yeah. of the business. And then I got to meet the, the CEO and we had lunch together and talked about ideas for the business. And it just felt like a lot more exposure to how the actual small business was run relative to what you see in the, the public markets. And that, I really geeked out on that and thought <laughs> I'd enjoy That's this. That's pretty so. cool for a 20, what, one-year-old? How old were you at the time? They, I must have been 21 out. or 22. Yeah, it was, I absolutely. was pinching myself um, relative yeah. to the experience that I, I got in the public markets. Now, for those of listeners that have listened to many of our podcasts, uh, the company's referring to is America Thrift Stores, which is also an ROI client. Uh, and I guess Ken wasn't quite the CEO at that time, right? He and you, I think, both served on the board. Uh, was at that time, was it the founder that was the CEO that got started the company? Or, or was and Ken already progressed to that, that position at that time? At the time, it was the, the founders. That's who I met with and, and learned about the company. And Ken eventually became a CEO, and he's got a wonderful podcast story. So those of you that want to know more about Ken Zabowski and, you know, ATS, uh, take a look at, I think it's episode 175, somewhere in that range. But uh, so that was terrific. Wow, what a great opportunity, though, as a, just a fresh grad to just kind of throw you in there. And, and how long did they put you down in Alabama? Are you down there for two or three days or a week? Or what did they kind of expect of you on that first trip? It, it was a couple of days and yeah. I learned that this was part of the, the business that we would go and, and really get a quick lesson in how the business was run, get to tour yeah. the office, the, the facilities, meet the management team and the variety of it made it really interesting. And the, the fact that you had to you learn a business in a couple of days uh, was really fascinating to me. Cool. And so you had about five years there. And uh, what were some of the businesses that you got exposed to and, and some of the key learnings you got in those early years? Well, as at Alpine, got exposed to businesses ranging from you know, software businesses that were growing rapidly and, and developing new technology to uh, healthcare services companies that were helping you know, larger companies with their health insurance plans. And right. the, the common theme was businesses that have recurring revenue businesses where we could install our own uh, management team, which I got to learn a lot about, you know, how to select managers and, right. and the impact that a great manager can have on a, on a business. And I got to learn a lot about a, a variety of different business models uh, that, yeah. that we were looking at. Cool. And did you get people responsibility, leadership responsibility at Alpine as you became an associate and then a VP? Uh, were people reporting to you? Or was a pretty flat organization there. Yeah, when I first joined, Alpine was was small. I was really the only analyst on the the team, and so there's no there's no management on on day one. Right. Uh, but the company started growing uh, fairly rapidly around the time that I joined, and uh, you know quickly we hired interns and analysts who I would manage and, and do some of the training yeah. for, which was a great experience to get early in my career. Right. How old were you when you first started managing people? Probably 23 or 24. Yeah. 
Wow. Just a couple years out of school. What were some of the challenges? Were, were they folks that were kind of younger than you kind of coming in as an interns or were they more experienced, you know, associates that, uh, you know, were coming on board from other firms? I think the, the for the most part, they were at starting out of undergrad. So they yeah. were just beginning uh, right. their career. And uh, there, there were parts about it that, that were hard learning how to uh, both be a peer and a friend to someone, yeah. but also to be able to manage them to generate results. Yeah. Uh, and there were other parts that were easy once you got the hang of them, that if you help someone be successful, they'll help make you be successful. And so I think once I got over the fact that uh, you don't need to be too um, formal about management, the goal is just to help your teammate succeed. I got a lot better at it. Did you have any mentors during those early years? Uh, Either the folks that were either within the firm or maybe outside, you know, in the investment community that were important to you in terms of developing your, you know, leadership and your, your other types of skills. At the, t- at the time that I joined, there, there were five partners at, at Alpine and maybe five non-partners. So it was a, it was a small. small firm yeah. and I got direct exposure to all the partners and they, they all really served as important mentors to me. Uh, Dan Sanner, who is on the board of Evergreen today, uh, he really took me under his wing. Uh, we, yeah. We'd fly all around the country doing doing trips similar to the America's Thrift Store uh, trip, visiting visiting companies. Uh, and deciding which ones we wanted to awesome. pursue. Uh, Dan was one of the founding partners of Alpine. He is, yeah. You're the guy, yeah, yeah, cool. And Graham, who is the founder of of Alpine, and Mark Strauch, another one of the founding partners, were two very inspirational people for me. I, I continue to have one on ones with them yeah. to this day, and they both pushed me to think big. One of Mark's questions that he asks you in a one on one is, "What would you do if you were the CEO of Alpine?" <laughs> and to be asking that of a you know twenty three year old, it felt. How did you answer it the first time? Uh, I don't remember my my first answer, but it all, it all one thing that was interesting is it always provoked a response, and, and sometimes something that I didn't even realize I had, I was holding inside of me something that I an opportunity I saw to make the firm better. Right. That right. You know, sometimes we just keep those to ourselves, and I think what Mark did a good job of is hearing from everyone and, and finding out these ideas that maybe, maybe you share with your significant other or your friends, yeah. but you never actually share with the, the leadership of the company. He would get those ideas out of you. Cool. That's great. Wow. What a, what a terrific uh, asset and, and tool that is in terms of, you know, really um, ingraining you as well into the organization. Cause there's nothing like being so young and sharing an idea and then seeing it adopted and incorporated. And you became a vice president like the ripe age of 25, right? I mean, if I'm looking at the numbers correctly, I don't think you're much older than that. Um, and, and how did that kind of change with regards to your responsibilities there? Because we're going to talk about Evergreen in a moment, which, of course, is an outgrowth of Alpine, I believe. But we'll get to that in a, in a second. But as you became vice president, how did your scope of responsibilities change? And, you know, what did that open up for you in terms of the next step? In, in, in some ways, it was a big change from being an associate where you're more helping out the partner right. on an acquisition to, in some cases, being the leader Meeting on an acquisition, yeah. being the, right. the person that's uh, going to a founder and suggesting that they partner with you in, instead of someone else. Uh, in other ways, it was more of a continuum for me of development as opposed to the day I became a vice president in my life changed and right right what alpine did a good job of was fostering leaders out of 
analysts and associates. So we're going to talk about Evergreen Services. You're the founder and CEO. So I'm assuming, you know, this was kind of one of those balls that was handed to you. Did, did you come up with this idea while you're at Alpine and the partner said, that sounds like a great idea, Jeff, go make that happen or give us a little bit of the early story. My audacious uh, goal with Evergreen is to build a modern day Berkshire Hathaway. And and that's what we set out to, to do. And uh, credit to Alpine that I was actually at the Berkshire Hathaway meeting. I go to the meeting every year in 2017 and looked out. They have a, a trade floor where all the companies that are subsidiaries of Berkshire uh, go out and they showcase. You know, there's a there's a booth for Geico Insurance right. where you can yeah. you can buy an auto policy. And I was so impressed by the collection of companies that have decided to partner with Berkshire Hathaway and their incredibly long term vision, having built it over 50 years. And I thought that we could build something similar at Alpine. And so I was actually flying back from that meeting and typed up an email to uh, Graham, the founder of, right. of Alpine, and suggested, you know, why don't we try and build Berkshire Hathaway at Alpine? And that was the initial impetus for, for starting Evergreen. And, and to Graham's right. credit, he met uh, with me for lunch the next day. And, and Danny <laughs> Sanner, who's our board lead, met, met with me as well the next day. And we started putting together a thesis around, you know, while our, while our long-term ambition would be to build uh, Berkshire Hathaway, for, you know, a modern Berkshire Hathaway, our near-term vision was, let's build that in one industry. And so we right. decided to focus in on the managed IT industry and set out to build the leader in that, that space. And that's what we've done over the last five years is build the leader in the managed IT industry. Awesome. How many companies now are part of uh, Evergreen Services Group? As of the, the recording, 58 uh, companies are a wow. part uh, of Evergreen, and, and that number should hit 60 in the next couple months. That's awesome. Now, is Alpine also an investor in all those companies, or is Evergreen? How do you kind of divide and conquer there? Ever, Evergreen's a portfolio company of, of Alpine investors, right. uh, and our mandate is to go out and acquire and build in the managed IT industry. So that's what we've been uh, doing over the last five years and under the Alpine portfolio. Awesome. Awesome. Cool. And, uh, wow. 50, so you've got 58 CEOs that you basically have to lead. <laughs> That's a pretty ominous task. How, how does that feel at the age now of what? 30, 31. <laughs> I mean, that's a big job. 31. Yeah. Uh, so we, we have organized the group. We believe in decentralization, yeah. the, the thought that it's better to have a, broader group of income of P&Ls to be managed by a group of general managers right. versus having one monolith company, which over time we think would grow slower because as companies get bigger, they become more bureaucratic. Sure. So we, we believe in decentralization, which is why we have a number of general managers and CEOs within our business. And that said, it would become a little bit unwieldy to have uh, 58 companies that all poured into the, the head office in, in San Francisco, nice. which only has 20 people in it. So yeah. we have organized it into regions and into industry groups to make that group of companies more manageable. So we have right. you know, larger regions within the US, each run by a CEO. Those CEOs have a group of general managers and CEOs that report into them. And that's how we keep it right. more manageable. Yeah, cool. Super cool. And um, can you share with us kind of the approximate number of employees and relative sales? I mean, how big is the organization in total today? 
it can't, can't share sales as yeah. a private company, but uh, nor, north of 2,500 employees across wow. the, the group of companies today. Fabulous. And, and do you try to keep the same culture across those companies? Do you allow them kind of some flexibility in that? You know, what's, what's kind of the common thread that you try to weave through all 58 of those companies? That's a great question. So we, we believe, you know, both in the fact that we want to acquire companies that already have a strong culture and we don't want to ruin that culture when we bring them into the evergreen fold. So we believe in decentralization. We believe in empowering the general managers of each business to create their own localized culture. We have a common value creation playbook that the group of companies have stacked hands on uh, around investing in talent around growing these companies organically at a faster rate than they would grow if they were independent. And we have opportunities to take advantage of our collective scale. Uh, So the companies are better together, but there's not one monolithic culture across the group of companies. We, We try to preserve the culture that the founder set before we acquired the business. Yeah. And is that part of the communication that you have as well as you look at these companies so they know that they're still kind of you know, their hands on the rail of their own local culture and company? Absolutely. If, if we're going to maintain the culture of a company that we're acquiring, we better ensure that we align with that culture. Yeah, and, right. and so I'd say there's 100% alignment across uh, the Evergreen group of companies in terms of, uh, you know, being high character, uh, being growth oriented. There's a lot of common themes in the cultures, but each company might use different words to define their their core values, and they might have their own quirks. And I think that a lot of larger corporate acquirers, one of the things they've gotten wrong is they tried to bring cultures together that won't ever fit together. Within Evergreen, we can can operate with multiple cultures that all align together. And we we want to keep that spirit of the company that we acquired. Cool. How would you say your leadership style has evolved? Because it takes, you know, it's sometimes it's, I'm sure a little bit like hurting, you know, blind cats in the night, right? I mean, or, or do you actually manage very differently now than you did when you were, you know, first managing folks, the leading folks? I, I hope I'm still early on the curve of, of developing as a, <laughs> a leader today, but actually the, the demands of the company have been very different uh, from yeah. year one to today. I mean, year one, it was both setting the long-term vision for the company and at the same time setting up a payroll system. Uh, so it was kind of, uh, we didn't have a team to start out with. So going out right. and recruiting that team. Uh, so there was a, a mix of this long-term vision setting uh, and short-term execution just to make sure that the company could become a reality. Um, if you fast forward to 2020, it was about how do we build for the long-term while ensuring our short-term survival. And, and we, and ended up benefiting from COVID as we could help our customers mm. um, transition their IT environments from in the office to work from home. But we didn't know what was going to happen when COVID started. So course, we did yeah. have to think a lot about ensuring the survival of the company. Uh, and today we've got a scaled platform with a strong group of executives across our group of companies. Right. And so a lot of the work is around what message do you want to amplify out to the group of companies? You know, what are we trying to do in terms of our organic growth? What are you trying to do in terms of new sales, in terms of uh, service categories that we're trying to get into? And then what do we want to do from an inorganic standpoint? Mm -hmm. And the messages that we amplify have a ripple effect across 
58 companies. So it's really important for us to be yeah. crisp on what our priorities are each year right. Right. and to be consistent on those, not change them from month to month or quarter to quarter. Uh, so it, it's gone from, you know, every day looking different in year one to today, it being important to select four priorities and stick to them for the entire year. Is there a homogeneity across the client base? In other words, you serve only enterprise or middle market or startups or, or do the regions kind of have their own, you know, customer base and that's what it was. That's what it still is today. I mean, how, how does that part work? It, we, we really started by focusing on small businesses and right. we like working with small businesses because yeah. we can be their full IT partner right. outsource partner yeah. yeah that's right provide everything from helping a user reset a password all the way to advanced cybersecurity defending against uh, nation states and sophisticated threat actors that a small business purchases all purchases all of that from uh, one trusted advisor whereas an enterprise is going to select you know potentially dozens of different uh, partners right. to work with and we like being that uh, one-stop shop for our yeah. our customers super cool you know, you've, you've got, again, uh, yeah, I'm sure of the 58 companies that you've purchased, you probably have looked at, I don't know, maybe 500, maybe it's 200. I don't know what the, what the ratio is, but you know, you mentioned about Berkshire Hathaway and Warren Buffett's success there is of course phenomenal. What do you look for in the companies you invest in? It's a great question. We, we look for companies that, that we think we can grow, you know, mm -hmm. having a long-term orientation means that we need to grow these companies uh, over time. We, we look for companies that are adaptable because we don't we want to be an owner of these businesses for decades into yeah. the future right. uh, and we don't think that in this world today you can predict what's going to happen 20 years from now <laughs> so i'd rather be in businesses that are adaptable and what an example of that is as a it service provider we when cyber when new cybersecurity threats come about we can train new employees on how to handle Right. Uh, that's cybersecurity and, and provide a new service offering around it versus if you think about something like a retailer where you've already got a, a location that uh, it'd be hard to change uh, what that building looks like. Uh, that business is not very adaptable. Our business is very adaptable because it's, it's consulting services and managed services where we just need to retrain our, our people and provide new, new offerings that customers demand over time. So we, yeah. if technology changes, we can adapt to that. So we look for adaptability and we look for a trustworthy um, counterparty and, and management team in the company. And mm. that's, a, that's a really important factor in our, our future success with, with acquisitions, because we'll never know as much as the person that's sitting on the other side of the table right. yeah. as us knows when we acquire a business and we have to at some point trust them um, in order to, to make that investment and be confident in it. Well, Jeff, we're just about out of time, but we always ask our guests one last question, and that's what kind of career and life advice would you give our listeners if they perhaps have you know, their eyes in the corner office themselves someday? I, I personally am more in the phase of life of, of seeking advice from mentors than, <laughs> than giving advice, uh, and I, I hope to keep, that, keep it that way for a long time. But uh, to address the question, I, I think that a lot of times we assume that um, it, all these decisions we make on a day-to-day -day basis when we're responding to emails or in meetings are the ones that are going to uh, define us. But I've found that there's a handful of critical decisions in life mm. in your career that really matter. And my experience has been that it, that when those big decisions come up, taking the bolder path is often mm. rewarded. 
Uh, so I have two two stories here that I think are are relevant. You know, the first is that you know when I was 22 years old, uh, I was you know awkward, introverted, uh, and I was at a bar in in San Francisco, and I saw. Uh, a girl who I had actually had a, a crush on in college, um, but n- but never got to talk to her. Uh, and she was at the bar with a, another guy. Um, and I could have either gone about my evening and uh, hope we crossed paths in the future, or I could could have interrupted them. And uh, I I chose the bolder path. I chose yeah. to interrupt them and uh, ask that girl for if she if I could buy her a drink. And um, the short story is that that, that girl's now my wife. And, uh, <laughs> Congratulations. I'm, I'm, I love that. <laughs> I'm, I'm very glad I took the, the bolder path in that, that scenario. And then on the business front, yeah. we were just starting Evergreen and we were looking to acquire our first business and the business was a perfect fit for us. And we delivered an offer and all of a sudden the founder went radio silent on us. We, mm. we didn't hear anything from him. Um, and so I could have stayed patient and waited for a right. response, or I could get on a plane and show up unannounced uh, at his office and, and see if I could encourage him to assign the offer. And I chose the bolder path. I, I got on the plane, uh, told him I was coming there. to the office, and yeah. uh, we were able to sign the offer, and that, that business launched uh, Evergreen. So wow. uh, in, in my experience, there's going to be these critical juncture moments in your career and in your life. Uh, and while it's out of my own character, what I recommend is is taking the bolder path when mm. those opportunities come up. Love it. Love it, Jeff. Well, listen, thank you so much, Jeff Totten, founder and CEO of Evergreen Services Group. We so much appreciate you sharing your journey into the corner office. Thanks, Brent. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Into the Corner Office with Brant Hanley. We hope you enjoyed hearing our guest CEO story as much as we did. If you want to hear more CEOs reveal their journey into the corner office, please subscribe via iTunes and tell your friends and colleagues. For more information about Brant, Resource Options International, and the mighty middle market, visit www.go4roi.com. We look forward to having you join us for our next episode.